So welcome, I'm Ruth Renger, founder of Conscious Leaders. So this podcast provides a platform for proven people leaders running highly successful businesses. And I've just digested their top traits and behaviours into a book called Next Level Leadership, Nine Lessons from Conscious Leaders. For more info on that, visit consciousleaders.org.uk and subscribe to our newsletter and find me, Ruth Renger, on LinkedIn or Twitter. So for this month's episode, as this book is about to be published, we're turning things on their head and I have my coach, Fee McMillan, interviewing me. Hi Ruth, what an honour to be here <laughs> as the book gets published, just before the book gets published on the 28th of September. Yeah, it's exciting. It's a bit it's a bit weird to be in the hot seat actually, because I'm normally the one, you know, grilling people on their leadership practices, behaviours. It's quite a sort of, you know, place of, you know, privilege really whereas turning it makes me feel a bit vulnerable actually oh okay (laughs) well well let's let's do some really friendly kind grilling and actually just use this time to give listeners a bit of an inside track on the book and what's brought us here and what they might experience if they read it tell us the story Ruth just briefly of what brought you into the work of conscious leaders Well, the kind of original reason, or I guess the kind of source reason for why I got into this work was having experienced a terrible leader. And probably like a lot of people, I've experienced great leaders and, you know, maybe had some like poor leaders as well. And I had a particularly poor experience when I worked for one company. And through that experience, my confidence eroded quite rapidly over the course of about maybe eight months, to the point that I was struggling to sleep, I was very anxious, and I was really a shell of my former self. And I left that job without doing my notice period because I'd witnessed the kind of bullying behaviour that I'd seen there. And it it kind of made me realise how, at least in reflection, how much someone else can impact your health. And after that experience, I after a big mental health dip, um, which saw me, I took antidepressants, I tried lots of things, and I, I, in the end, I doubled down on mindfulness and got a career coach, which helped me eventually resurface from a pretty dark time. I, I experienced something very different with my career coach because she looked at me very differently. She saw potential in me, and I, on reflection, I can reflect on those contrasting people in my life and how one of them made me feel really awful and the other made restored a sense of faith I had in myself and I think since having that experience I basically want to limit anybody or as many people as possible having those poor work experiences because I think it's basically unconsciously or consciously leaders are really making people quite unhappy at work. It's so painful to hear about and it's not an uncommon story and I'm so sorry to hear that that's what happened for you, actually. And I'm also really interested because having listened to the podcast, you also have now moved into this kind of territory where you're interviewing your conscious leader guests. And they're not just, from the sounds of it, good leaders who care about their people, but they're also conscious leaders in terms of the businesses that they work for having social mission or the way that they do business actually having social impact. So I'm wondering what sense you make 
of that shift from the terrible leader into these really leading edge conscious businesses as well as leaders. Yeah, um, and I definitely seek out these leaders who are doing this great work in the way they behave and also in their businesses. But quite often, I mean, I used to work in corporate social responsibility and some of that work can be really like press friendly, look at all this great stuff we're doing. And actually inside businesses, sometimes they're not actually behaving that well to their own staff. So I think, yeah, it really has to start like at home and mainly with yourself as a leader. That's the first point. Mm. Yeah. And one of the things about the podcast that I noticed is how you, you really get guests to share their gritty stories of what they've done that's enabled them to really step into conscious leadership, good leadership, and also where there's been real challenge. Uh, so I wonder, could you talk to us a little bit about what you think makes uh, a good conscious leader? What really helps people to expand into that space? And what, what takes them away from it as well? Yeah, I think, I mean, clearly I break down the nine lessons in the book, but I guess if I were to start people off, then I think a great leader, I mean, I'll talk, maybe talk about the first three lessons. So a great leader has a clear, clear positive intention for those that work for them. And quite often, I think people are not aware of the stories that they're playing about people that work for them. Like, oh, they're always whinging, or they always say this, or I know how this is going to turn out. And it clouds the way they look at people. It clouds their faith in them. So I think having a really clear, positive intention for those that work for you is really important. Um, and also being able to self-manage. Mm. So the way you, as a leader, as you know, Fee, you know, the way, the way that we show up, the way that Wong shows up, for someone else will have a big impact on them. So if you're angry or stressed, mm-hmm. you don't even have to say anything. People will feel your energy in the room. So by looking after yourself, you also look after other people. So a leader who looks after themselves is powerful. And I think leaders often, even the leaders I interview, put themselves last. Mm-hmm. So that while it's a key trait, it's not always shown up from leaders. And then beyond that, to the third lesson is about listening deeply to people. So not just giving advice, not just finishing someone's sentences for them, but actually being present for them mm. and hear how they're really doing. Mm. And I wonder, you know, what is it? So in, in, in the book, you share these great stories about the leaders that you've worked with and some of your podcast guests. And I wonder, you know, on this edge where people are really, these leaders are taken away from or, or when they're contracting around this, what do you see these leaders doing that really help them to stay true to those intentions and to listen deeply and to really come alongside their people when it's busy and there's a lot of pressure. Yeah, like you said, the, this sort of is interesting to think about contraction and expansion. And I think contraction comes through things like control. Like it's, it, I need to control things, I need to control what people are thinking and doing. And, you know, in order to expand and to trust people and to open up, that takes work on yourself and in, in order to do that. And, yeah, I think... I think this is really about a steadiness of a leader to, and the self-esteem of a leader to believe in themselves before they can believe in others. Because a lot of 
poor behaviour at work is often from our, and I put myself, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I've acted poorly at work for, is from our own baggage, usually from at home, from our, the way we were brought up, or in the school playground through being bullied or bullying others. So that type of stuff really inhibits our ability to be steady and available, like emotionally available to other people. So I think leaders that really lean into that, that development can kind of see that change. Mm. And what are the insights that you got you know, when you were writing the book and reflecting on all of these interviews you've done and all of the clients that you've worked with? If we were to get really granular about it, what are the stories you hear about how those leaders actually make the decision to prioritise themselves, actually make the decision to put their well-being and their steadiness first? Well, it was one leader, my youngest leader actually, he was 25 at the time of interviewing. He's a CEO of a company called Super Network. He's called BJ Malenga. So he doesn't take meetings before 10 a.m. because before 10 a.m. he is doing his bike rides, his nutrition regime. He might do some emails in the morning, but he doesn't want other people sort of clouding his mind at that point. Um, I know another leader called Hepsi Pemberton, who's CEO of the Equality Group, who on a Monday morning invites a new person to chair the team meeting each week and they start with a quote or a contemplation and then a two minute silence in which you can meditate or do whatever you want. So a real pause at the beginning of a week, which is not necessarily the most adrenaline inducing thing, but is gonna help people ground themselves before they kind of dash into their week. Yeah, I really hear how that would kind of set the tone for the week. We're sort of starting to talk about how culture is weaved in the organisations. And I really, you know, as we're here talking about the book, I really hear the rich kind of uh, canon of work you've got standing behind you in the interviews that you've done. So just to share with our listeners, what was the impulse to actually move from all of these interviews into the book? It was actually a blog post I wrote. So I wrote a blog post off the back of an interview with Guy Sing Watson, who's founder of Riverford, the fruit and veg box company. And their marketing people were like, oh, we'd love you to write for us. So I wrote this blog called What Makes a Great Leader Stand Out? And I had these five things. And this blog did really well. And, you know, normally, averagely, my blogs do okay. You might get a few comments, a few vet shares. But this blog started to go a little viral. And I was like, hmm, maybe there's something in this. Maybe there's something in digesting the kind of essence of, of great people leadership to make it simple and digestible for people. Because most people don't train in leadership. Most people don't. They mm. just inherit a job or they get promoted through technical skill or other skill. And... I think it's quite hard for people to navigate how do I become a great leader so I think if you if you can make that simple for people in terms of practices habits stories that others have found successful then that's like naturally something people can easily digest next level leadership when you say next level leadership can you put some words around that for us what it what it feels like when next level leadership is landing in the world of work? I think you know next level leadership is landing in the world of work because it's about a power shift. So I think traditional leadership holds the power around the leaders at the top. Whereas because 
next level leaders are confident in themselves. They don't need to hold the power anymore. They can give it away because they don't need to prove themselves. So they push the power responsibility out to others. It doesn't mean they they give away all responsibility. They still have a vision. They're still very clear about expectations. They still have boundaries around the autonomy that they offer to people. But they offer that power to others and let them fly. So they facilitate people to make decisions, to take action, to to be responsible themselves. And then other people are driving the business for you. So long term, this is actually a much easier way of working than it is to hold all the power yourself. Of your of your nine lessons, are there any of those nine lessons that you think are particularly challenging and gritty for people to deal with? Yeah, I think towards the so the lessons scaffold on each other, and towards the end, so the the eighth lesson is about letting people in. I think that vulnerability is a very polarising word. I say that in the book. But I think it's quite challenging for leaders to let others into their lives and it, it kind of share with them what's difficult because they sometimes feel, and I'm everyone's different, so I don't want to generalise, but quite often leaders feel that if they open that door that they're going to be seen as like weak or something. But really by letting people in in a way that's authentic, we can help people connect with us as human beings and then people are more invested in that relationship. Mm. And they realise that you as a leader are not perfect, you're imperfect. And it helps other people be more human too. But I don't think it's, an, especially for people who, for whom being vulnerable or being open is not how they've been brought up. Actually, they've been taught to be perfect and have a very nice shiny veneer over everything they do. That's really common. So it's a process, I think, for people to go on to then allow others to connect with them. Mm, mm. Yeah, and listening to the podcast, it, it, for me, it really felt like those the moments where I really connected with your guests were the ones where they were telling the stories of where th- things had not gone well for them. Yeah. And we can all identify with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Mark Cudigan's quite a good example. He's CEO of Ella's Kitchen. He talked about how, on his podcast, about how um, really destroyed he was by the death of his MD and how he was really struggling with grief, even at the time of the interview, and how through opening up to his staff, he he found a better connection. Because at first he tried to pretend that he was okay and help everybody else. And then he found that his own mental health was really suffering. And eventually he opened up and said he was taking the grievance counselling. He would go with walks with staff to share with them how they were doing, how he was doing, those that wanted to because everyone, you know, is on their own pace with this stuff. But it clearly created a massive ripple effect with his staff that he shared that. And that's tough. That's not easy stuff. But he really was a role model there that he was willing to say, I'm not doing that well, actually. I know Mm. I run your company, but I'm not okay. Mm. And the company's still running and the company's still successful. But I remember in his case... He talked about breaking two teeth because he was clenching his jaw at night and waking in the night crying with with the grief that yeah. he was carrying. So it's a really powerful example of big disclosure and that the commercial success can still sit there and the company can still go, go running. It's really possible. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it, of course, especially if this isn't something that feels 
readily available to you. It could just be small things about how a climb meeting was really difficult or, you know, showing a little bit of openness about how you're progressing or what you found hard when you were in a position like your employee can be really powerful. I'm wondering, as you're talking, I'm wondering, we were talking about soft grilling at the beginning and the tables are turned today. So I was wondering about that terrible leader who you had that was the kind of impulse for this work that you do now and this the great book and the podcast, everything that's come out of it. What do you think that person would do if they had next level leadership in their hands and you were still working for them? Mm, good question. I, I don't know how open she would have been to this. I don't want to write her off completely. She was in her 50s at the time and I think for a lot of women then, women that had to kind of not always, but quite often had to elbow their way to the top. So she was displaying quite a lot of, you know, traditional masculine traits there. Um, It might have been that if she'd have gone to an event and been inspired, she might have thought about me and how she was treating me. Or it might have been she she wasn't ready to hear that. She'd kind of come a long way in her career. So I don't, I don't know whether she would have been open to that kind of change. All you need is a bit of openness, right? I always say that this work, we have to meet people where they're at and help them move along the bus. So if someone is only vaguely curious, like if you listening to the po- this podcast, you might already be quite open and think, yeah, like I'm really game for change and self-transformation and supporting others. But who could you help that is maybe less far on this journey? Who could you give this book on to who might just be a little open to having a think about that? Because that's where the big change happens. That's where she could have, if someone else had given it to her, maybe that she respected, maybe she would have listened. I don't know. Maybe. And yes, I hear the compassion in your voice that everyone's context is different. And maybe that terrible leader grew up at a time when, grew up in her leadership at a time where the environment around her wasn't as... Um, open to different ways of doing things. Well, she'd found a way to survive in that company. Yeah. You know, the CEO was also a narcissist and, um, you know, it, one minute was very nice and other minutes was playing bullying behaviour. So she'd found a way to survive and then was passing that on to me. So it, it worked in its own dysfunctional way. So at that point, I'm going to bring it back to you again, because in the book, Ruth, you ask readers to think about their next level of leadership, what that looks like for for them, and and maybe to have some accountability around that. So rather meanly, I'm going to ask you, what, what, you know, here you are, you've done this work over the last few years. What, What does next level leadership look like for you in your work, in your leadership development practice? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think this work needs to get to bigger stages. So I think I'd really like to see it impacting as many leaders as possible, especially those that are only just a little bit curious, as opposed to those who are already on this journey. Because, you know, there's, it's easier for people who are into self-development. So I'd like to think, how can we get this into, like, tough business? You know, I'm going to generalise and say tough business blokes, you know, because I think... If you can show a lot of harder-nosed people the commercial benefits alongside how we help people be happier and more successful, then we can. that's really important. So I really want to find avenues, and maybe people listening know more avenues, about how to get this into the hands of 
like tough business people who are just a little bit open. Um, and I'm doing a TEDx in October. So that's a really good opportunity to spread the message more. But I think broadly, I just want to work with more full leadership teams on this work where we can do, we will, people will better self-assess against the nine lessons that we've got. And we'll build a program off the back of that, which will combine coaching and um, and facilitated workshops about moving their leadership team to where they are now, to six, nine, 12 months to where they want to be and what an amazing culture looks like in that future. So I think working more sort of systemically with a group of leaders, be that five to 10, I think that's where the work needs to focus. Because I can work with the CEO and it will have a good impact. But I think for to get the major shifts, it needs to be with the full leadership team. And I have had the opportunity to do that. Um, but I think that's where I'd want to focus more fully. So I'm a tough male leader. I've read the book. I want my team to have this. I want to shift the culture in my organisation. So I pick up the phone. Hey, Ruth, read the book. Can we get it out there? You are ready for these calls. You're yeah. ready to design and take this work into organizations yeah. at scale yeah 100 percent. yeah and what i would do is talk to each person on that leadership team to understand where they're at and you know to test their openness because if there's a couple of naysayers it's okay if you you need most of the team to be open to this work but yeah assuming that is the case then yeah huge change is possible Mm. the sky's the limit really mm. and if, if we start helping people start adopting things like coaching behaviours in the way they manage um, and training and things like that then they're going to see big shifts in how they run the business and that kind of power shift I was talking about earlier so if you step into an organisation in three years time they've done a conscious leadership programme with you and the power shift has happened. What what do you think you'd be seeing in that organisation in three years' time? What would be different around the the work and the conversations? Well, so I was, I'm kind of imagining myself at a face-to-face event, actually. Mm. And what I'm imagining is that all the leaders are actually sat down because they've, they don't need to prove themselves. They don't need to be, like, you know, presenting. There maybe has been some intro information at the beginning or something. But really, they're... All the staff are very mobilised. They're running things for the leaders. And the leaders are sitting there like, wow, this is amazing what we're seeing here. And we really need to take more of these. Un- so say it was like a annual face-to-face retreat or something. They'd be kind of wowed by what employees were coming up with and how much mm. they were driving the business for them mm. and how that released pressure from them mm. as leaders to do all the work they were adopting much more of a coach facilitator role themselves and people were driving the business for them. They're there to kind of get stuff out of the way and help them feel good about themselves and occasionally pull them up on behaviours that maybe aren't great. But it's a much different dynamic to what I see in most companies. It's such a powerful image and I'm also imagining those um, upcoming leaders, if I can call them that, also ready to bring in the next incoming layer of leaders as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think on the flip side, you get very traditional workplaces where people finally get their leadership role and they've been treated in quite a sort of, you know, traditional way up to them that they think, right, now it's my finding my chance to tell people what to do. 
so on the flip side in a positive way mm. people will have watched how they would have been facilitated mm. like you say and they're ready to pass that on to the latest interns and new starters that are coming through the ranks so look you just dropped into the uh, conversation your TEDx in October are we allowed to know where that is and when it is yeah it's on the 22nd of October in Doncaster maybe a few tickets left but it's, I think it's pretty much sold out and yeah I think it will be released end of November and the title? It doesn't actually have a title yet. But, mm. Well, I have some ideas around the title. The core idea is that if you change the way you look at someone, you can change the way they feel about themselves. So the title might be something like tapping into the leadership superpower or all, all ideas welcome on a postcard. Well, <laughs> tapping into the leadership superpower, I'm sure we all need that. And I'm just going to bring us back to the book again so it's been published on the 28th of September will you tell because you know I just love an inside story can you just tell us so you know you've got a publisher you've got a written book it's about to be published what actually happens in your life that's different to normal because the book's coming out so yeah I've got publisher rethink press um so we're having a launch event which is good so we've got a group of about I think it's about 50 registered already, but maybe 50 to 80 people. We're going to be in London. Um, it's hosted by Wong Doody, who um, one of the podcast guests um, works there. Grace Francis, who used to work with Essential Song. So they're hosting us for the launch event. And I'll do a short talk. And then we'll have a panel with um, yeah a few of the leaders and very much involving the audience. So it'll just be 15 minutes from me and then like an hour's panel discussion with audience participation because I find a lot of these events you go to you listen to the panelists and then there's time for like two questions and everyone's got to go so I'm really keen that we make sure that that the audience drive the conversation because conscious leadership you know I've pulled out these nine lessons but it's still very much a dialogue and the people in the audience might have things to share that are as valuable if not more than stuff in the book so I want people to better you know air that and and move the conversation forward as we do these events I should be doing another one with Riverford in Devon coming up as well. So, yeah, you know, these next level leadership events, I think, can be quite a good way to move the conversation on and tailor it to to kind of what's going on in leaders' worlds. But it's about happiness for other people. It's about business success and it's about happiness. And those two things can be right hand in hand. They don't have to be at the expense of each other. And I think that's a message that seems quite hard to land with these kind of tough, tough tougher-nosed business people. If people are having a good time in the office, they must be being unproductive, you know, we must be having a bit of a mess around. But I think I need the book to land the message that you can do both. And you actually can be a powerful force for good in people's lives. Because if people are happy at work, they slightly turn back their personal life. So I don't really think there's a more important cause than to have a positive impact on others. Wonderful. I was talking to a CEO this morning and he was saying, I think in businesses we've got lazy about the responsibility we take for people's well-being and for the contribution we make to their wider lives. And I hear you really speaking to that when you describe this businesses as a force for good, where happiness is something that can happen and it really contributes to impact. It's not a it's not a sideshow, yeah. if you like. So I know there are ways that people can get hold of the book and also read it beforehand. Could you tell us a little about that? Yeah, so you can get free sample material on the website. It's at consciousleaders.org.uk. And um, from there, you'll better find out how to, how to purchase it as well. 
And available for pre-order, I think you've said as well. Yeah, pre-order right away, fully published on the 28th of September. So uh, what I can, it's dialogue, it's a dialogue, you know, and as you take this work out, it's going to expand and grow. So I'm already hearing a rewrite of the book. Are there any other books in the pipeline? Um, don't know yet. I think it's going to need to take a life of its own. But I think, yeah, the dialogue will emerge of this. So it could have a part two, it could be rewritten. Eventually, like, it could be honed further. Um, but I think that while, like, what we're talking about right now it sounds, I think it could sound quite hard and big. And while it is radical work that I think is this work on self-development, I think a lot of it is quite easy. So a lot of like mini practices people can do to make change. So I want people to know that they could just pick up like one or two or three things that they do most days and that would change everything. So this book... Before we close, this book is a way that people can really pick up some of those practices. And if you were just to bring in one practice now that people could do every day, without even reading the book, but just to give away now, what would you say that one thing would be that you'd invite people to do every day, every morning, to help them on the road to conscious leadership? Well, I'd say, like, do, like, a mini self-audit in the morning, like, scan your body. How am I showing up? What's my intent, like, for people around me? Is there a difficult in inverted commas, employee that I'm running a dialogue about, could I bring a positive intent to that? And how am I doing my well-being? Do I need to pause before I go into a meeting? Do I need to cancel a meeting in the afternoon so I can go for a walk? Like, what do I need today? Or am I fully resourced? Like, where am I at? Looking after my well-being. And then any opportunity to dial up the listening with people and just be as present as possible and just using maybe some grounding practice or... Or just really every time your mind wanders coming back to focusing on what someone is saying and beneath what they're saying at the surface, maybe what they're really saying. And holding enough silence for them to really express. Because that is powerful and you do not need to say anything. In fact, you can say less to be more powerful. What a beautiful place to close. Ruth? Thank you. Thank you for trusting me with your podcast conversation. Something I'm sure you need to get used to because there are going to be other people who are going to want you as a podcast guest talking about this great book. Many congratulations on the publication of Next Level Leadership. Thank you, Fee. Really appreciate it. Well, it was interesting to be in the hot seat and feel a little bit more vulnerable. But I really enjoyed the conversation with Fee and yeah really the opportunity to share about the book and the ripple effect it can have just a reminder that listeners can download a free sample of the book at consciousleaders.org.uk and you can also find links of how to buy it from major outlets or of course you can ask at your local independent bookstore bye for now